The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with The Birth Circle, and today I have Dee Gordon with me again because last time was so fun, and we have so much more to talk about because Dee is never-ending, entertaining <laughs> person to talk to. So, um, Dee, so I got a text from you in the in the middle of the night last week uh, um, because you were at a birth. I know I can text you all hours of the night because, you know, and I, you. midwife. Yes. And so tell me about that birth. So I got a call around 12.15, and um, it was the husband. And usually when they're pretty advanced in labor, it's the husband that calls. But I hadn't had any previous calls, so it was a surprise. And he says, um, the contractions are getting really intense. Can you can you head out? And in the background, I could hear the mom, and she was very vocal. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a mom who's ready to have a baby. So I jumped in the car right away. I um, started driving down. And then about 15 minutes down the road, I got another call and he said, her water just broke. And I could hear her in the background pushing. <gasps> and I was like, listen, you're going to have this baby before I get there. So just leave me on speakerphone. I'll talk you through it. I'll get there as fast as I safely can. But let's just let's just do this together. So they got in the tub and I could hear her really vocalizing through each contractions. And I'm I'm speeding as fast as I safely can <laughs> down the Provo Canyon. And I was absolutely stunned that I made it. And she hadn't had the baby yet because of those sounds, those vocalizations. Yeah. Said. She was ready, you ready, ready. You know those sounds. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, we're having a baby. So my assistant got there about 10 minutes before I did. And we just quickly prepped and got ready to, to deliver a baby. And, and she was in the tub. And I said, can I just go ahead and check you and see what's going on, knowing that she should have had that baby by then, by, by her sounds. And um, I, I checked her cervix and I felt something very unusual. <laughs> I was... A little alien baby? It was so perplexing. At first, I thought I might have been a prolapse cord oh. because everything was so strange. And it wasn't the top of the head. That was all I knew for sure. And so oh, I, I took my time and felt and I realized that I was probing a nostril. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, and a oh, lip. No. Oh, no. Oh, and no. this baby was coming face first. Oh, the... Um... How does a baby do that? This is less than desirable. <laughs> <laughs> really not your favorite birth ever? <laughs> oh, man. Not your favorite circumstance no. ever? No. <laughs> um, their face presentations are really rare. And so I thought, well, let's let's see what happens. Let's kind of go with the flow here and check baby's heart rate. Baby was doing great. Mom was doing great. So we were we were just going to have faith that we could get through this. So we, we tried a few positions and my gut instinct was call in for some more help. So I called mm -hmm. the most experienced midwives I could get a hold of. And um, I say that because it was 2.30 in the morning at this time. And I texted you saying, who is the most experienced midwife that will answer the well, phone? And here's the thing. I thought when I got that text, I was like, uh, 
50? <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, like, like how, I mean, I know a lot of experienced midwives, but you're one of them. So then I was like, what's the story? Why are you asking me? Yeah. But I didn't ask you. I would just start to send you names. But yeah. yeah so so I, you finally I called reached... two. I called two. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them, of course, answered that 2.15, 2.30 in the morning call. And I just quietly asked them. I said, I have a face presentation. We talked about which way the chin was facing. And um, both of them, midwives that have had Thousands over, of births. Over yeah. 25 years and thousands of mm-hmm. births. And they both said, hmm, I've never had a face presentation. <laughs> and I was so flummoxed. I was like, no, don't tell me that. So I went back in and worked with mom and tried the, some of the few positions that we had talked about and, and finally just made the decision. We'd only worked together for about an hour and a half after I got there. And I said... Mama, I just think that it's better off if we transfer to the hospital. I just don't feel yeah. fantastic about what's what's going down. So she agreed um, after, you know, she made some valiant efforts. And we made a call over to the closest hospital and told them that we were going to transfer, said that, that she was in active labor, that she was a VBAC. That was a little detail I didn't oh. mention. That her first was a C-section. And she was um, really working for and planning for a vaginal birth. So... We got to the hospital, and I was pleasantly surprised at what? the treatment that the nursing staff, um, they were they were gracious, and they were attentive, and they didn't show any signs of hostility, okay, or um, and they were very supportive. So they got her hooked up. I told her, I said, right away, she wants an epidural. So they ordered the anesthesiologist to come right away, and they took good care of her. I was really impressed with that. Um and then the doc came. So she had had the epidural for about an hour and the doc came and and his advice was you have a slim to zero chance of having this baby vaginally. And she got really discouraged. We all did. I had I had in the back of my mind um thought, you know, this is really gonna be challenging for her. Now to- was this because it was it is very dangerous to give birth to presentation or what 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 made him yeah, so the baby's head's designed to flex from what crowning is the back of their head where those bones are were designed to flex that way. Oh. And so baby's coming out in a way that their chin and their forehead are not They don't they're not supposed to scrunch. No. They're not supposed to compress like that. Um and So it's really so dangerous for the baby. It is. It is. And baby So he had, was saying she had a zero to slim chance of having a healthy delivery too, He actually right? said live birth, yeah. Oh, live birth. Oh, he yeah. used those words. I'm sure that yeah. made the mom feel really great. And I and I was there to kind of help, you know, calm her nerves and just say, he's not saying you can't try. He's saying that this is going to be really challenging mm. and we're just being really honest about that. So she said, I want to try. And I said, we all support that. So he gloved up and he sat on the end of the bed and he said, okay, all you have to move is about two centimeters to give me hope that you can actually do this. And she pushed and she moved that baby drastically. And I could see in his demeanor, he changed. His face went from total skepticism, like, okay, let's just prep her for a C-section to his eyes kind of popped out. And he, he grabbed that button that they paged the staff and say, get um, respiratory team in uh-huh. here. And they prepped the room right away. Oh, he did. So he called him in. He called him in. So I went and I whispered to mom and I said, that means he thinks you can do it because he's breaking down the bed. He's getting oh, yeah. dressed. Breaking down I mean, that, that bed. that means a lot. So, and he was so patient. He really was. And... Uh, 
his demeanor changed and he was a lot more optimistic. And he was like, okay, mama, let's do this. And it was really cool because all of the staff came, like all of the nursing staff. Because nobody's ever seen this. Right. And um, now it's a party. And and secretly I had whispered to mom, I said, he's got a lot more experience in this than I do. So we're just going to have faith that he can help us maneuver this baby out. So she pushed and I think she only pushed through maybe four contractions and got so much movement. Baby just moved so, so, so well. And, um, that baby's forehead came out. So that was the hardest part, his baby's forehead. And oh, this little baby's face was so swollen at this point. His lips are just ginormous. And um, she delivered vaginally. And the room was just a collective cheer. And everybody was just absolutely amazed at this accomplishment. It was huge. It was so, so amazing. So... um, I was there again, whispering to her. I was like, I don't know if you realize how amazing you are. But everybody in this room came in to watch because they've never seen it yeah. done, especially a VBAC. You V-back just did a vaginal delivery with a face presentation after a C-section, like all the odds that could have been stacked yeah. against you. And they were, they were but stacked against The doctor was her. amazing. So when you transfer to um, a hospital, you become... Uh, doula we've talked about in previous episodes so you're no longer acting as the midwife because um, you're turning care over to the OB right their primary care provider switches and they know that that if we transfer to the hospital I become a doula or an advocate just you know um, somebody there to help them process this but I'm not in a role of decision making and um, and it's the luck of the draw because yeah. a lot of times we're there and you can't call in um, somebody that you haven't had an established care with so it's just whoever's on call and, you get whoever's on call. Yep. Um, so the purpose of this episode is to talk about bridging gaps between home births and hospital births and how the transition can be more smooth if you need a home birth transfer, they call them. Um, and because um, I've heard lots of horror stories about transfers that don't go very smoothly or women that aren't treated well. And the whole goal is to help First and foremost, a mom get the right resources she needs to be safe in in birth and postpartum. And if that means that she needs a transfer, then she needs to be supported the entire way through. So um, <laughs> so tell me about your experience, some of your more of your experiences of transferring. Well, I'll say this. There was a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, the majority of the midwives didn't feel safe doing a transfer from home to hospital. And they did um, a drop and dash. A drop, a drop, like a door dash. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like an Uber so Eats. Like they just... would drop the client off at the oh. emergency room door and then the midwife would tuck tail and run because it wasn't oh, safe for her and the possible persecution and... Um, like what would happen to her? Um, sometimes they would just be verbally abusive towards them. And sometimes it would escalate that to the point where they would check their credentials and try to get them in trouble and try to get them investigated for, you know. Okay. Also, this is a national podcast. So I do want to remind listeners, we are recording in Utah where the law is very flexible. You are allowed to have a home birth. There's no laws against it and they are not supposed to be um, persecuted or prosecuted for having a home birth. So you need to check in your state what what is legal. But from our frame of res- reference, we're talking about Utah. So these midwives, they were not in the wrong at all. No, legally, they had every right to be mm-hmm. providing support to these women. 
but they had two things. They had a history of persecution, but they had a fear. They had a huge fear of what would happen to them, what would ha- the treatment that they would receive, the, the treatment that that client would receive. And a lot of them just really weren't um, in a position to, to face that. And so mm-hmm. they would drop them off at the ER door and then the midwife would excuse herself and, the, and then the client, the couple, would just be there to navigate that process by themselves. Wow, that's really... Less than ideal. Less than ideal. That's <laughs> yes. really hard because she's... Obviously, she's not going to the hospital for fun and games. She's in need of some serious support and then just to have a an abrupt shift in providers. Plus, that doesn't do the mom very much good because the um, the midwife can't get the doctor up to speed right. on what's been going on and exactly. why there was even a transfer. So then yeah. the doctor is left with this client like in danger and he has no rapport with her and no no medical history. That's a very toxic situation. Yeah, absolutely. That's scary. And it puts women in danger. Yeah. And so so it was two-sided. You know, the, the midwives not having the tools or the equipment or, or the know-how of how to um, present to a hospital. And it was the hospital being abrasive and difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not saying one was right and one was wrong. It's just Mm -hmm. a combination. And it it made for a very dangerous situation for some of these moms. So, you know, my whole goal has always been, let's be able to treat each other as peers, as doctors, as midwives, as home birth in hospital, and and really have mutual respect for one another. And I, I have an OB that I work very closely with that I absolutely adore. And I tell him all the time, I never want to put myself or my clients in a position that we're making marginal decisions. Mm-hmm. We're, we're even we're putting them in marginal risk because yep. that I, that's out of my scope. Yep. I'm normal. I'm and I'm normal. <laughs> well, <laughs> that could be debated. Meaning, uh, you take normal, low risk pregnancies. Exactly. You don't take anything out of the ordinary. And in fact, had you known that there was a face presentation earlier in, you might have like had a might have consulted with her to to start yes. her labor in the hospital. We would have definitely had a conversation about yeah. that. We would have talked about the risks. We would probably have didn't help about... that her water had broken, so baby was face was yes. like smashed in the birth yes. canal. And deep in the date birth deep. canal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for sure, and and I think it's important for us to realize like that social um, fear, like mm-hmm. from the midwives, from the clients. Sometimes we make some really poor decisions based off of that fear, and and maybe a midwife is making a decision to stay home longer than then she should that's what I that's what I'm kind of getting at and I've been to births um, where the midwife I feel and I'm not a professional like I'm not I'm a I'm a trained doula but I'm there as a filmmaker and just but just for the number of births I've seen sometimes the situation gets a little like hmm, if I were the midwife but I'm not because mm-hmm. I don't do placentas <laughs> I would transfer now how about now let's transfer yeah. now you know, and, and it's just, it, and I wonder sometimes if it's a little bit of that whiplash from the, what did you call it? The drop and dash. Yeah, drop and dash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, if, a, if a midwife hasn't good, hasn't had, wow, if a midwife hasn't had good experiences with transferring a client to the hospital, then she might stay home longer than Yeah, safe. absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think happens. And yeah. and all, it's only been in this newer, I would say, crop of midwives that kind of have a little bit more of the medical um, lingo, if you will, mm. that they can, they can speak medicalese and mm-hmm. they can present themselves. But also they've, the hospitals 
and the states have Mm -hmm. recognized that risk. They've recognized that these midwives are afraid of a transfer. And Mm so um, hopefully they're addressing that. I know in Utah they've started to address that recently, and and it really comes across in how Has um, it changed like drastically? Because you've been practicing in Utah for quite a while, and have you seen like a drastic improvement in transfer Yeah, absolutely. So, And uh, it probably has to do with your relationships too, right? Because you go into the hospital setting and you know some of these staff and you're like, hey, I'm back. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that they see that and they Mm -hmm. see when we're transferring and they see that we're not waiting for things to become a crisis. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that and they respect that. And the mom is fully on board too because she trusts you as her provider. And so she's not going in in a state of trauma or fear. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Exactly. So, um, uh, tell me, tell me some of your other stories. So, uh, some of my stories were not quite as pleasant as that one, but um, I had, you know, I've had. Well, cr- well, I mean, what what kind of crazy things have you had to transfer for? Um, most of the time, I'd say the the majority of our transfers are because moms run out of fuel. They oh just, yeah, yeah. They just are so tired that it's mm-hmm. just dangerous for them to to really run themselves down. Um, so and, they go get the epidural, and they, they get sleep. a nap, and they mm-hmm. get an IV, and they get some replenishment, and then they kind of wake up and perk up and go, "Oh, I feel so much better. Let's have a baby. And let's have a baby." Mm-hmm. And and that sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it's the epidural, just get a 15, 20 minute, sometimes a 40 minute nap, and then and then they're ready to have a baby. Um, and then sometimes it's, you know, it's something really drastic. I've had a client that was a first time mom and um, everything was going perfect. And then when her water broke, right as baby's head was, you know, presenting, um, the waters were really murky and not Waters is the is the amniotic fluid. The amniotic fluid. The the membranes ruptured, meaning the sac broke, and then her yeah. waters broke, and they were green. Oh. And um, and then the baby's heart tones had been great up to that point, uh, but then we had some marginal, what I call marginal heart tones. Mm-hmm. They came back and they just weren't reassuring. And I said. Mama, I just think that the best plan for this baby is to be born in the hospital. And so we did the same thing, call ahead, yep. say this is where we're coming from. This is yep. this is the situation. And then, again, that transfer was another fantastic one. That doc, and I say eye to eye because it's kind of an... Um, it's a emotional eye to eye, not a physical. But yeah. that doc, you know, mm-hmm. kind of presented and I said, this is how dilated she is. This is what her statistics are. This is what her blood pressure is. And I kind of gave him all of the, the numbers and I said, and she would really like to try with vacuums or forceps because baby was just far enough that that would have been feasible. And he said, okay, we'll hold off on prepping the OR and let's see if we can get this baby here. And he got out that vacuum and he delivered a vacuum baby and you know, fairly quick, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but in it, as she was prepped for OR. Yeah, so yeah, he was. I I felt like that was a respectful way to kind really of look at me as a yeah. colleague, peer to peer, and say, okay, I'm going to trust your your judgment there, and and delivered vaginally. So everybody was grateful for that. Well, I mean, they peer to peer, meaning when you come into the hospital, you give him all the information, but he doesn't continue to see you as like a co provider. Correct. You go to the doula role, and then he or she takes over the. 
the birth process. Yeah, and the and the difference is, you know, other times we've gone into the hospital and they ask what role I'm at. I say I'm the home birth midwife, and some providers won't ask me for statistics and won't ask me for how that history of labor has been and won't and they don't involve me. And so then I'm just kind of a fly on the wall saying I have a lot of information I could give them, but they're hostile towards it and so they they won't ask. Mm. And, you know, and nobody in that wins. Case, yeah. Nobody wins. It's so frustrating. So um, you were telling me about this organization that's that actually works to change some of these. Yeah. So in Utah, they have it and it's called um, Utah Women and Newborn Quality Collaborative. And um, they came together with a group of home birth midwives and hospital um, administrator and and um, Utah State um employees mm-hmm. and they said what are the reasons why we're not having transfers and what are the what are the complications that we're having transfers for and they kind of went through that whole process of why are we transferring why are we not transferring and where are we putting moms and babies at risk and they they really came to a point of seeing eye to eye and they heard those midwives and so they they put together a training and on both sides for the home birth midwives and for the hospitals to say this is the scenario that puts moms at the greatest point of support and t- takes away some of those risk factors. And it's made a huge difference. So it's it's a form that we fill out as the home birth midwife and say, here's your information and turning them over to the administrators of the hospital. And oh, say, so it's like an actual process that you, yes. have, you can tuck that in your file box. Yep. When you need to do a transfer, you pull that sheet out and you fill it out. And then when you arrive at the hospital, it's like... Here you go yep. on a platter. Yep. So, um, any other training for midwives other than how to use that sheet? I mean, in general, it's it's the culture of helping them understand that this is an acceptable practice. That uh-huh. a hospital transfer is not a failure on the midwife's part, on the laboring mom's part. That it's really just another tool in our tool mm-hmm. belt. Yeah, and that can that can help um, keep the mom empowered the entire time if she feels like she's a failure. The, the hospital's a downgrade. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Then uh, that can be traumatizing. Yeah. And I I mean, I, I just did a little um, informal question asking women, um, tell me about positive experiences you've had from a hospital transfer or hospital providers that mm-hmm. were supportive. And and the, the majority of them said the reason why they were positive experiences is because they were um, respected and heard and and were part of that decision making. Mm-hmm. And so people weren't making decisions to them or for them or on them, imposing their... <laughs> so many ways to make decisions on people. <laughs> yeah. And these moms really felt a difference. And they felt like they were a part of that decision making team, which is, which is absolutely the... The whole key and the whole goal is to help moms feel like yeah. this is their body. This is their mm-hmm. decision. Yeah. Cool. And so what kind of training did they do for the doctors then? Well, as far as I know, they they really just put together this this panel and kind of came in and said, listen, this is how this is how we are going to most um, how, this is how we're going to avoid the most trauma. And by trauma, I mean danger to moms and mm-hmm. danger to babies and women that are transferring too late. Um, and, and again, I've, I've seen a response from multiple hospitals changing their demeanor in that transfer protocol. So the the, um, the all the OB staff and the nurses mm-hmm. and the administrators are all given that same opportunity to understand the way you treat this transfer 
will impact future transfers. Yeah, it true. And it seems like um, it's almost, well, the example of one of the, the transfers that I come to mind is um, the midwife, once the, once the transfer was decided that it was needed, it was for exhaustion. Um, she called around the hospitals. There were a couple of doctors she had blacklisted in her mind, so she wanted to make sure they weren't on call. And so, again, that hopefully that's going to phase out. Mm-hmm. But she called the different local hospitals and, and decided on where she wanted to transfer a client. And then um, she said, we're coming right now. We want an epidural and mm-hmm. a manicure. and a pe-. Just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, when we arrived, they had the, the suite all ready. All of the blankets were all spread out, the pillows, plethora of pillows, the anesthesia anesthesiologist had his cart in the room was sitting on a stool ready to go and she walked in and she's like i feel like a princess as she should (laughs) yeah and he gave her that epidural so stinking fast and then the nurses um just got her all tucked in and and talked her down and then they turned to us and they're like wow thank you for for you know (laughs) being so communicative about this process so we could take care of your client. And we're like, thanks for making her feel like a princess. I mean, it was just, I left with lots of fuzzies. And she had the baby only about 20 minutes later, but she just couldn't get over um, while she rested. And then 20 minutes, it only took about 20 minutes to push the baby out after she'd had that epidural kicked in and she had a, a break and it was just amazing. And I, I mean, that's what it's all about is supporting these moms, supporting them in whatever way mm-hmm. they need at the time. And if that is that support is bringing the tribal drums and light a candle at home and, and give her the environment that she wants at home, or mm-hmm. that comes from calling the anesthesiologist and saying, hey, we need outside um you know, enforcement. Yeah. And we shouldn't be ashamed. Like the they're there, those tools, those resources are there for a reason. Yeah. And I don't know how to articulate this correctly. So maybe I'll work through this here, but the, it seems like, I mean, providers are human too. Yeah. They're not machines. And if we treat them with respect and, um, yeah, just respect uh, their, their level of education and expertise, um, then they want, they're human. They want to perform be kind to other humans like they right. want to and I just I just came off a birth that's why I'm kind of tired I, I mean like I just don't do the all-nighters like you used to <laughs> you midwives have a superpower but um just went to a birth and the midwife um was uh in the hospital and she she asked the client do you do you want to give birth the, the client was kind of dancing in the middle of the room and she said do you want to give birth there and she kind of nods and she goes okay so she gowns up she gets the check pads on the floor and she gets the the husband and he's she's a case stand right there and and then the mom's just you know going along and she's ready there to catch a baby nurse comes in she goes are we gonna have a baby on the floor <laughs> and and then the the midwife was like maybe it's up to her and I mean you know she wasn't gonna let that baby drop but I was like oh my gosh and there was just little things the entire time that when we were done because I specialize in home birth when we were done I was like girlfriend you had a home birth in a hospital I mean the midwife was just right there with her every need like every time the mom you know made a different grunt she'd be like oh are you feeling this are you feeling that and she just it was amazing and I feel like the culture is changing yeah it's you know what I'm I'm recognizing it's that attentiveness 
Like, and that's the doc that helped us with that face presentation is he was attentive. He was eye to eye. He was mm-hmm. looking at her, talking to her, saying, these are your risks and this is what we're willing to do. And 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 really just giving her attention mm-hmm. and then feedback. Like she was saying, yes, I want to try this. And I think that yeah. goes such a long way. And, you know, in the long run, this is, sorry, I'm circling back. In the long run, this really makes it easier and more gentle on everyone. Mm-hmm. Because that midwife listened to that mom, we probably saved... I don't know, time in pushing. Yeah. And because your doctor saved, uh, listened and was kind, she, you just, she just, the doctor saved that mom another abdominal surgery. Oh, absolutely. And, and the insurance company money, That not that that's about that, but I mean, just saved everybody a lot of struggle just by um, being kind. Compassionate care goes a long way. I think that's why a lot of women just choose out of hospital birth is because they feel like they're getting more attention and compassion. So if that starts to shift and they feel it, regardless of home or hospital, then it will kind of level the playing field Mm -hmm. and and give them every resource that's available. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to switch gears because um, you have a course that's kind of different. Um, you, You teach... You have an advanced birth workers training that teaches um, advanced skills to birth workers. And, you know, there's a, there's doula trainings and there's, um, you know, there's photography workshops and there's, but there, and, and those workshops are addressing like how to do your job, how to p- apply counter pressure or how to take great pictures and terrible hospital fluorescent lighting. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we do a coalition against fluorescent lighting in hospitals? <laughs> right. Just tell me about it. Terrible. I just can't get my shutter speed. Ah, anyway, um, so, but they don't really address some of the emotional impacts that being first being on call, mm-hmm. you lose your mind being on call all the time. Um, and some of the things when you are witness to another person's trauma, it can in and of itself be traumatizing. Yeah. And so um, tell me more about your advanced doula training and what kind of, or, no, sorry, it's not advanced doula training, it's just advanced birth worker Trainings yeah, birth and- professionals. So anybody mm-hmm. that is in that space. So the the photographers are going to witness it, the doulas, the midwives, um, the students. So everybody is there supporting a woman. And, and one of the, the threads, if you will, that we kind of uh, experience is um, trauma. And either the birth itself was difficult or somebody was disappointed or somebody, you know, there's a lot of emotions around, mm-hmm. around birth. And um, what, are, what are the tools, what are the modalities, what are the skills that we can implement as professionals to support these women, not only for our own healing, but mm-hmm. then to connect the women we're supporting and say, I have found this meditation, I have found this technique, I have mm-hmm. found this to help, and, to, and have more resources available to help process and heal and be whole beings mm-hmm. to support more women. I heard once in uh, one of my, one of the classes I was filming for a midwifery school, the instructor was saying, you can't bring your stuff into a birth. If you have your own trauma or if you're still working through something from somebody else's birth, you will affect that birth space. And, um, and so it's really important to provide tools for the birth workers so they're not coming in and, and yeah. bringing stuff. <laughs> yeah. And unloading their trauma mm-hmm. in an environment where a woman is very vulnerable. And, and the midwife at this, uh, at a recent birth, she just mentioned to me, she said, um, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I had a baby die a couple weeks ago. Um, and that was really hard. Uh, but, but nothing in her, the way she treated the client, um, sorry, the patient, this was in the hospital, the, the patient, nothing, nothing 
changed about how she treated it. She didn't practice out of fear. She didn't say, well, I had a baby die a couple weeks ago. And so now I'm not going to let you do any of the things that would like re-traumatize me of that, that, of that complication. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example. No, that's a great example. Like, I mean, that that's the ultimate trauma is, you know, everything we do is to avoid a demise, a devo- avoid that fatality, a mother or baby. And, and that's a huge component uh, and but that's not the only thing that traumatizes women in labor. That you so know, what are the, some of the things that traumatize? Because again, trauma is always in the eye of the beholder, and there's some people that say, "Oh, you're fine. You just have a healthy baby. Get over it." So what are some of the examples of things that would traumatize? A you, mom in labor. You know, we keep birth. talking about how these providers are attentive and listening and, and include mom in his decision mm-hmm. making. Taking that away, doing the opposite of that is one of the biggest traumas. Um, when they when they are not given a choice or a voice in the process, mm-hmm. that, that is trauma. So we talked a little bit. Um, Especially on a, if that's important to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and maybe they don't realize it in the moment that is important, but later on down the road, they find out that there was a decision that was they were robbed of oh, making. Oh, yeah. Robbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they look back at that and go, oh, man, now I know why I felt so disempowered. Now, now I felt so weak or vulnerable or, you know, fill in the blank of those those negative emotions. And that's that's the huge potential in birth. Mm-hmm. And as a midwife or as a as an OB, we have that opportunity to stop and listen mm-hmm. and give that give that woman that power back. And, and it happens quite frequently, you know, birth is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy has been over, you know, the 20 years of attending birth is birth is meant to keep us humble. (laughs) If you ever come into, (laughs) if you ever come into a birth thinking, you know, it all, that's cute. Then you'll have a face presentation. So I guess you better be careful. <laughs> no, I never said I know it all. <laughs> but but exactly like that, that humility of the first thing I did was admit I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I called in, okay, what resources can I call in? I'm going to call on this provider. I'm going to call on that expert. And, and then just really letting go of your yeah. pride. Just be humble. The other thing too is I think people on the outside don't understand what's happening in the mom biologically, physiologically, mm-hmm. the, the hormones that are racing through her body. I mean, to get a uterus to push out a baby, that's some serious hormones and some serious adrenaline and some serious chemicals, right? And so to to say, well, your birth was fine. Like, how can you judge that? You don't understand the bath of chemicals she was, her brain was being <laughs> Yeah. Ina May in. calls it the lizard brain. Lizard brain. And it's because mm-hmm. it's kind of that, yeah, it's the, taken over. There's no, there's no, um, there's no consciousness to it. It's just what's happening to her. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a lot of a lot of that emotion comes up because if it's something is happening to you and you don't feel like you have any control over it, mm-hmm. you're going to respond much differently than if you say, I'm walking into this willingly and deliberately and mm-hmm. I have control over it. And again, you don't have control over birth. Nope, you, you don't. You only have control over how you respond to each um, change in adaptation mm-hmm. that happens. And that's what what that that trauma can can surface from is is feeling that out of control and yeah. then allowing that to uh, derail, if you will, that illusion of control that we walk into it and we think, mm, I, I can do this. I've done my hypno tracks and I can breathe this baby down. And and then something happens and you go, whoa, whoa that was yeah. much harder than I thought it was going to be. And and yeah, surrendering to the process, but your your brain is being bathed in all these chemicals during this big physiological change in your body. And then afterwards, 
the chemicals, the, the hormones still cha- still are changing. They're still heightened. Your, your milk comes in. You've got this brand new ne- newborn that won't let you sleep. And, and they're so, completely dependent on you. And they're completely dependent so on you. So a little overwhelmed. Just, yeah. So, so a birth, something that goes, what we on the outside would say, oh, that birth was fine, mixed with then the aftermath of the milk coming in and the, the hormones resettling and everything, that that also can build upon the trauma. Whereas if something happens in birth, and again, I'm not, I can never judge a woman's experience just based on the really good stories I've heard. It's like, like this face presentation example, like she was so supported. And so when she feels that support in her, in her birth, when she then has the the chemical mix afterwards with the postpartum, she will go back to that and say, "Well, I felt a support. I felt I felt it. Gosh, I felt supported in birth, and so now I should be supported in postpartum." Like she will expect it. Her lizard brain mm-hmm. would expect that support. Not that everybody has to bring her dish, bring her food, and do all her dishes and all her laundry. They should. They should. But that's. I mean, support to her is mo- emotional support. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I did this birth, and the doctor thought I rocked. I can do this postpartum because I rock. Right. Versus if you're completely stripped of all your will, <laughs> of, all, of all your choices in birth, and then afterwards you left, you're left in this postpartum mix, and you're like, well, what is there? And you're talking about being bathed. I think I really like that terminology, that you're being bathed in these chemical response. But what what we may not realize is even those of us who are not giving birth, we're bathed in that emotional response as well. Oh, for sure. And so as a student midwife or as a doula, you're experiencing your own response to what you're witnessing. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're doing this this type of workshop. It's help you process, help you go through that and go back to that and say, okay, this unearthed this feeling for me Mm -hmm. as a birth professional, what resources do I have to kind of work through that and become stronger as a better supporter, a better provider and heal that little portion of me to then go out and be able to support more. So the only, the only thing that would make somebody crazy enough to be on call and wake up at three in the morning to go get bodily fluids splashed splashed on them repeatedly. (laughs) Sorry. The only thing is a heart call that, I mean, I don't know anybody that goes into this profession saying I'm going to make a buttload of money being a doula. (laughs) Right. And And that's why burnout is so. Burnout's a big thing. So you go Mm -hmm. into this heart call business, this heart call calling, and, and you're already a lot of times traumatized because why else would your heart be saying, I don't want this to happen to somebody else. So I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to be a doula because of what happened to me. Or I'm going to be a midwife because what happened to me. And so if you bring that into the birth space, then it's, it's a form of re re traumatizing yeah. yourself and, and affecting the births for your clients. And, you, and you know, you, you said a word there that you said a, a business and you called yourself back and you said a heart calling and it is a heart calling, but we are, we are supporting families with wait, this. Wait, wait, wait. Are you allowed to have a heart call and a business at the yeah. same time? Wait, Isn't that amazing? Are you allowed to be paid? For something you love to for do. For something you love to do. For something you're passionate about. That's weird. I know. It's <laughs> it's life-changing. But I tell people that's why I put up with mm-hmm. what I put up with. The middle of the night calls. The missed, you're being paid for you know, it. Missed profession. anniversaries. Missed birthdays. Missed Christmas. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I'm there because I love these women. And I love to see that transformation and them experiencing a positive birth. And, and because and so, you are a professional, you are being paid for your services. It makes it so that you can be available for these moms and you can provide this. Yeah. Service. So that's actually the second skill that we're teaching at this um, advanced workshop is number one, 
um, how to improve your business so that you can feel like you can continue supporting women. And so that's a whole day on business, business skills and how to map out and find your weaknesses and work through them. Mm -hmm. And then the second day is all about that, um, the technical skills of being a birth professional. So we're bringing in experts for, for VBAC advice and we're bringing in um yogis and Reiki specialists and there's something called emotional freedom technique, the tapping. So like we have a lot of, a lot of um, experts that we're bringing in to say, okay, let's work through business uh, glitches, if you will, Mm -hmm. weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next day let's go through and just really reinforce you Mm -hmm. and build you up spiritually, emotionally um, and help you, help you be a better provider. I love this work so much that you're doing because my heart call my passion is um, to see women be healthy and um, whole in birth and postpartum. And But there's 3 million babies born in the U.S., something. Absurd. There's almost 75,000 just in Utah yeah, every year. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's so many people giving birth every year. There's no way I could um, lobby Capitol Hill or, or get to, to the media relations of all these hospitals and the policymakers. There's no way on earth... We could, we could make change that way. I feel the big, biggest way we can make change is empowering the providers. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we can build an army of, of um, a million doulas or whatever it takes to serve three million pregnant women, <laughs> um, the, that they can then go into the births and they can stay whole yeah. the entire time. And they can, they can be protecting the space and, and holding the space for these moms. It achieves the goal. And so I love that you have this entire course just for making the birth workers whole. I mean, I'd never heard of this concept. It makes so much sense. Duh. (laughs) It makes sense, you know, now that I hear it. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) It's the nurturing side of me. It was like when I hear women that reach out and they say, this was a trauma or this was an experience or this is something I have to figure out how to work through. It's that 20 years of experience that I say, okay, this is a pattern. Mm -hmm. There's a pattern that they're traumatized from either business practices or they're traumatized from something that happened at a birth. Mm -hmm. So let's go and say, let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper and let's resolve some of those issues. Let's work through them together. Let's create support for each other to say, hey, I hear you. I hear you had an experience mm-hmm. and this is how I processed it. So that might give you a little bit more um, yes. access to so healing. So birth, I'm going to end this on this quote. You can quote me. I want to see memes all over Pinterest and Instagram with my quote. Ready? Ready. Birth empowerment is like the black plague. It's super contagious. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> but really, nice. <laughs> yeah, would, but really you, uh, an empowered doula empowers a mom, an empowered mid- midwife empowers a mom. And once a mom has had an empowered birth, she empowers her friends and she empowers her little sister and she yep. empowers and herself again effect. the next time. And then her daughters are empowered. And empowered. generations so, are changed. And generations are changed. So it's so, it's so contagious. That's what we want. Yeah. Thank you so much for all this information that you've provided. I know I learned so much from you. Thank you. And if you want more information about Dee's training, you can go to Genesis Birth Company. Is it genesisbirthcompany.com? Mm-hmm. And the Facebook page has a lot of information on the events. Yep. And the trainings are here in Utah. And she puts you up in this amazing um, hotel. And it's just a retreat. She pampers you like hardcore. Yeah, we have a <laughs> massage therapist. <laughs> Among other things. And a chef, right? Yeah. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. 
We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.